Well, last week, Pastor Medenge started us off with this series. It is a seven-part series. And what we desire to do, and we have dubbed it church-wise, and our intention is to make sure that we unravel some of the components that collectively makes this to be a gathering of God's people. What are the different components that makes it a church, a gathering of God's people? When we meet, we serve Holy Communion occasionally, as Pastor Madenge directed us and helped us to understand. We also preach, like I'm just about to do, or I'm doing now. Next week, we discuss why do we actually sing? After that, we'll talk about why we pray. Pastor Lorraine is getting ready for that. And why we give. And then why we baptize people. And also why we fellowship together. Why we gather. Why we tell you that there is tea after the service. Why we tell you that please join a real group. Why we tell you please plug into a ministry and serve. Why do we tell you all these things? So that's what will be happening in the coming weeks. But for today, allow us to get into the reading of God's word, and you're going to read from the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, from verse 16 and part of chapter 4. Please know if you can see it in a Jeremiah lamentation, that's not where we are. The, in between, there is somewhere called the New Testament. A few books down the line, you'll find 2 Timothy, chapter 3. The Bible says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations and your hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Yesterday in a group that I am in, one of my pastor colleagues here, lamented how he had gone to this wedding ceremony and he unpacked the word of God so much so that the couple were looking like, you know, they were understanding, they were getting in and soaking into the word of God. But a few moments into the word, distractions started happening, people started doing other things on the side, people started catching up, and most likely, people never really heard the word that he was preaching. Immediately after that, 
a famous local musician who had come to honor the couple, stood up, and as they say, DJ, work at the mix, put the song. And he started singing. And people gathered, all those who had been scattered to the tent, to the cake side, security, and all that. All people gathered. And he sent us a video actually showing us that people were so mesmerized by this performance that as this musician was singing and presenting, people were so happy and joyful that they started removing money. And he sent me a video, I have it here. You know, and they started chopping their money to bless the musician. Needless to say that the song and the word, they were pulling different sides. But people were happy. We normally attend, uh, we are invited to attend ratios and other events on the side. And normally when the pastor stands, people don't pay attention. People don't think about it. Could this pastor be having anything meaningful to say? This normally happens during campaign periods. When the big politician comes here and he says his remarks, and then the pastor is invited, you see a horde of people leaving now, following the politician to go to somewhere else. The word of God is never, ever taken serious. Here at Mamlaka, we take seriously the calling to preach the word of God. And our pastors, the men and the women who stand here to preach to you, they prepare, they labor, so that they can be able to teach and to equip you with the true word of God. Beyond the style, beyond the mode of communication and sermon delivery, uh, you know, and all that, beyond that or behind that is a man or a woman who has labored with God, praying, God, reveal to me your word so that I may be able to break it down to your people. Every Sunday, Sunday school teachers, they break down the word of God to your children in a manner that is palatable to them. Pastor Lorraine here has stood here and said that if your youths, the teenagers, those who you look at times and you wonder, God, what did I do wrong? Those teenagers, they sit down and they are taught the word of God. As Lorraine says, if they can understand chemistry and biology and physics, they can be able to understand the word of God. So the word of God is brought to them without dilution, but with the truth that it deserves. But why do we labor with this? With, with such intensity? Why do we break a sweat to preach? Why is it that pastors will lack sleep as they prepare to preach? Why do we have this high value of preaching? Why do we make preaching a very vital component of our worship service? Why? That's a question that we want to answer today. But before I get in there, allow me to spend a few minutes here uh, telling you the mode of preaching. Due to modern techniques, of communication, where some of you who are experts, they tell us that adults learn well in an interactive environment. There is no need of a pastor standing there and preaching to you God's word. We can small, small groups 
and discuss the word of God on the Lord's day. Not in real groups, but on the Lord's day, we need to change the style and the mode of communication. And so there is consistent backlash that perhaps preaching on the Lord's day is not better if it's monologue. It needs to be a dialogue. But we get this pattern of one person speaking to many, actually from the Bible. I know you may not believe me, but let's look for a few passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Then we see if we can make a case enough. If you turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 24, after God had spoken to Moses, Moses wrote down the word of God, which theologians, we call it the law, the Pentateuch. And he wrote it down, everything that God had commanded him to write. And people gathered around him. And the book of the covenant was read to them by one person. And in unison, if you look at verse 7, it says, the people responded that we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So people heard from one. Let me jump to the, book of, to the books of history, and that is the, the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, chapter 8, verse 34 to 35, Joshua read the words of the law, the blessing and the cursing, the curses that are in there. And he read this to the men, to the women, to the children, but also even to the foreigners. We could say the visitors who are with us today. The word of God was read to them. But interesting, the book of Nehemiah, I think, makes a very good case to what I want to say. This, in the book of Nehemiah, don't worry, the, these books have a way of hiding themselves when you are just about to read it. Actually, it's lost. In the, in the earlier service, my Bible had the book of Nehemiah. Now I can't find it, but <laughs> I have it there. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, let me start from verse 5. Or verse 4. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. So it was built so that they can, you know, Ezra can reread the law. Beside him on his right stood some interesting names there. But in verse 5 he says, Ezra opened the book. Now when he had stood, all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. So I make a case why we occasionally we ask you to stand as we read the word of God. I think that's where it comes from. Verse 6. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Verse 8 says, They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear 
and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. This is it. That sometimes the one who is preaching about the word of God, the Bible says there from the book of Nehemiah, the word was made clear. The word was given meaning so that the people understood what was being read. And so when a pastor or a preacher stands here, the work is to make clear what God is saying and give the meaning or the applications. And then after that, you, as you go home, you understand totally what God has said. In the New Testament, if you go to the New Testament in the book of Luke, Jesus began his public ministry by picking up. He went to Nazareth. And when he went to this temple, to the synagogue, he was given the scroll from the book of Isaiah. And he read it. He read these words in the book of Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth. Let me start from verse 16, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And rolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him, and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Let me stop there. The thing is this, that Jesus read his mission statement. And all the people who had be, had the custom of going to the synagogue, that day, the preaching that day was totally different. They were amazed at the gracious words that Christ spoke. This is what we have been waiting for. Christ said that now these words, this has been fulfilled. All that had been prophe uh, prophesied by the prophets, the law of Moses, the historical books, all that today has been fulfilled in your hearing. That all these words were pointing to me. And the people were amazed because no one had ever heard those words. They call them the, that the words were full of grace. Later in the book of Acts chapter 2, the church was buzzed by Peter's an eloquent and public exposition of the book of Joel. And people heard this sermon. And from there, the people did ask themselves, now what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter will tell them that repent and be baptized. And that day, people repented and baptized. About 3,000 people were baptized, and they were added to the church. The fastest growth of a church, perhaps. From there, the disciples were, started preaching and the authorities were not very happy. It was not, they, were, they, they were wondering, what are these guys doing? So that people are hearing them and are responding to the message. These were the Sanhedrins, the Pharisees, teachers of the Lord. They were shocked and surprised. First, they looked at the Akina disciples, Akina, you know, Peter, Andrew, Bartholomew, Levi, and Akina Philip myself there, wondering, what are these guys doing? And they thought, what are these guys, the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 4, what are these guys are not schooled, they are 
common men. Actually, the, the original language there in Greek, it says that these guys, you know, they, they, they were idiots. It says that, that these guys unschooled and common men. Idiotes are grammatos. Idiots of grammar. They don't know what they're saying. But they figured out these guys had spent a lot of time with Jesus. So that was the difference. Later after that, the disciples were harassed. They were arrested. And at one point, they were locked into a public prison. And the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors. And he told them, God told them these words in the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 20. Go, stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. They were commissioned to go and preach. Even later after that, Peter would say, the disciples would say, no, we need to commission some, some deacons to help us in distributing food because there was an issue of food as it happens even now. Food is normally a big issue. And the disciples said, no, let us be able to bring other people, Akina Stephen, Akina Paminas, and all that, who will be helping us to distribute the food so that we can concentrate on the preaching of God's word. Friends, God's word is important because God will empower your faith and godliness through the hearing and obedience of his word that is presented to you by anointed men and women who are faithful to the word of God. So this is it. You need to be careful who is feeding you. In the year 1825, a very well-known French guy called Jean Savarin, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, you know, he was very intrigued with food. And he came up with a very well-known phrase. He said that you, tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you the type of a person that you are. That the food that you are eating actually will tell me, or will tell me your identity, and will define you. We have come to say that, you know, you are what you eat. But it came actually from this guy. Sometimes you don't pay attention to what or to who is feeding us. And if you are careful with your physical meal, then you need to pay even more attention to your spiritual meal and the one who is preparing that. So what is it that you can do? Please be praying for your pastors that indeed they will be able to hear the word of God and God is going to speak to them. What I was trying to say is that preaching is monologue. You sit down, someone breaks the word of God for you. And you have seen that from the Bible. So then we get to the second question. Then why do we preach? You may remember the text that we read earlier that is from the book of 2 Timothy. And I want us to see these four things from that text. That we preach because God has spoken. We preach because God strengthens his people through his word. Number three, we preach because through the preaching of God's word, God saves sinners. And finally, we preach because God is sovereign and supreme. So let us go to the first point. And if you want to remember them, the four points, God has spoken, God has strengthened, God saves, God is supreme. Uh, just an easy way of remembering that is G4S. If you go back home and you say it, to my phones about G4S, you may remember it. 
in that way. Peter, I mean, Paul says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. What does that mean? From here we see that Paul affirms the continuous thought of the Bible. That these words which are in your Bibles, they are words of God. He tells his young mentee that these words belong to God. They are God's. And that's possessive. They belong to God. That these words have come from the lungs and the lips of God. Don't take it lightly. This is not the counsel of men. This is the very word of God, the one who has always existed. So Peter, Paul says, preach these words then. Because they are not yours. Don't preach because you are wise. Don't preach because you have something to say. Don't preach because you are brilliant. Don't speak because you have experience. Don't preach because you have, you have the practical experience. Don't preach because of that. Preach because they are God's words. God's word is breathed out by him, brothers and sisters. And as such, it has life. They are words of life. They come from the depth of God. You know, they have the life of God in them. They are living, as the book of Hebrew will tell, tell us, that for the word of God is living and active, sharper than double, any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. He says, my friend Timothy, preach these words because the God who put the pillars of the universe in their place and has given us breath, that God has spoken, and because of that, there are no better words that we need to hear than these words that are there. When God then speaks, he not only commands our attention, he demands that these words be preached, be proclaimed through faithful preaching of his word. Friends, if God didn't speak, if God hasn't spoken, if God hasn't revealed himself, then there is nothing inherent in me and the rest of the pastors and our bishop here. We have nothing. We have no inherent mandate that we should speak or even demand your attention to hear what God is saying. We demand your attention because God himself has spoken. And because God is true, then whatever he has spoken is true. And he has nothing to hide. There is nothing to hide about him. Through his word, this God, our creator, has given us sweeping and unrestricted privacy to know who he really is. The, the implied word, the thought here is that whenever God speaks, he makes himself naked so that you may get to know him. There is nothing that is hidden. Perhaps that's why, I mean, in our mission statement, to promote personal intimacy with God in order to build godly communities that will impact the nations for Christ. The need to get to know him because he is there in his word and he's ready to be known and to be discovered. In the book of, in the, in the Old Testament, the word, there is the word gala, the one that we call swimming gala, you know, dinner and all that, Right? which occurs about 300 times in the Bible. And it means that 
you know, to uncover, to remove, to disclose, to discover, to lay bare, that God has laid himself bare before you, brothers and sisters, so that you may be able to get to know him and to understand him. And that we find in his word. God is ready to be known. In the book of Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That the arm of the Lord is there for everyone to see. And we find all this in his word. Friends, God isn't like our earthly fathers. That when they have worked so hard, and their time to depart this earth comes, we do not know their plans, the plans that they had. That's why sometimes, and pastors we are called, to accompany families to a lawyer, so that we can be able to witness the reading of the will. This is what your father, this is what your parents wanted when they are gone. They hide it. They hide their thoughts. They hide their plans. They hide their will in legal firms or even in strong bank boats. No one knows. That is not like our father, brothers and sisters. God has made himself sort of naked to you so that you may be able to know his character, his purposes, his will, his plan for the salvation of the world and humankind. Perhaps that's why Moses, reflecting on these words in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 46, he says, For these words, this is no empty word for you, but your very life, the very life for you. So friends, understanding that God has spoken, how does this affect cocoa growing in Ghana? Or how does this affect the housing tax in, in Kenya? How does it affect? I don't know if it's outstanding to you that the God, the creator of the universe, has opened his mouth to speak to us. He owed us nothing, but he has opened his mouth so that he may be able to speak to us. The one who exists freely from us, apart from us, not bounded by time, the creator of the universe, powerful in grace, has revealed himself to you, brothers and sisters. The Bible contains about 750,000 words. But they are words of life. So that you may get to know this God. So that you may believe in him. So because of that, because God has spoken here in this church, we give much airtime solely because he has spoken and we need to hear what he is saying. And now because of that, what hinders you from hearing God's word? God has spoken. What hinders? Is it that maybe you struggle with the authority of God? When you're supposed to sit down and listen to God, you don't like it? And so you struggle in that way that you don't believe in him because you struggle with authority? Is it personalities? Some years back we used to send you guys the bulletin telling you how the service will look like on Sunday. So this is a preacher until we realize that it is not helping you because you made the decision to come or not to come to church based on the preacher who is preaching that day. So we stopped. So come. That's why some of you who ask me, who is preaching tomorrow? You come here and see. There will be a man or a woman of God who will be speaking. 
because it used you used to make decisions based on personalities, relationships, the friendship. You know, I have had a hard week. I want to be entertained. Or who you are very serious. I don't want to listen to him. Let me go to another place. So we stopped, friends. Until you tell us we have stopped. We want to let us be getting to know so that we pray for the pastor. If you tell me that, we will change. And Isaiah will be sending you the preacher of the coming Sunday. Amen? You don't want to, but it's okay. The other hindrance could be that you care so much about the, you know, there are so many cares of the world. Imagine you come here today and you, did I unplug the iron box from the socket? Or when I was making that breakfast quickly, did I turn off the gas? Or you see someone that perhaps you never wanted to see in church. That makes your concentration span to be very, very short than the January salary. Very short. <laughs> within, a few, within a few minutes, you have you switched off. You can't sustain 40 minutes of a sermon. And yet, you are a surgeon. You do 15-hour surgery. You are a lawyer. You spend about eight hours arguing for a case. You are a marketer. You can spend six hours negotiating and making a deal. But 40 minutes... We have to plead with you. Please add five minutes on top of the hour. There was a guy called Amos, a prophet in the book, in the Old Testament, who was very angry with God's people because they just used to come to church or to the temple as a tradition, not really to hear the word of God. So they were, their bodies were there, but their hearts were not there. They were somewhere else, like some of us here could be in WhatsApp, in Instagram, in Twitter. I got you right. Please come back. And Moses, um, Amos, in the book of, you know, in Amos chapter 8, verse 5, he says that when they gather in the temple of God, they start asking themselves, when will the new moon be over? So that we may sell grain. And month in Africa when? And they are in the presence of God. Amos continues and says, and the Sabbath be ended, that we may market which. The word of God is being read to them, but they're asking, when will this day end? That Sunday restricts me from making a kill or from making more money. We speak or we preach because God has spoken. Secondly, we preach because through the preaching of God, of God's word, God strengthens the saints. After telling us that all scripture is God-preached and is useful for teaching, I mean, he says that it is useful for teaching. So, he says that these words coming from the lungs and the lips of God, probably, then they have a benefit. They are profitable. They are beneficial. These words. Paul uses a word that business people would like, that it is profitable. He tells us that this word has good return on investment, that when you believe that you accumulate actually a benefit, that will outlive you. Paul tells Timothy that that profit of scripture, that benefit, that usefulness is based on the originator who is the living God. So much so that if you believe that this is the word of God, then you'll mature in faith 
But that profit will be achieved through good and faithful teaching and preaching of God's word. I don't know the parameters that you use in searching for a church. And here, no, I may be getting personal. I don't know if it's the word of God, the preaching of God's word, that that is one of the things that you look for when you are ticking the boxes as you're looking for a church. Perhaps it maybe it's parking and a shade. Or like here, there is a swimming pool. Nothing wrong with that. Those are the provisions of God. But I want to believe and I hope that it's not because of other things, but it's because of the word of God. A place where you're faithfully taught the word of God. I know some of you have suffered in the past. You are not in churches. You are in ministry of agriculture where you used to plant seeds every day and every day. <laughs> you studied economics, but on Sunday you, you are an extension officer in the ministry of agriculture. And that's what is being taught. Here at Mamlaka, we take seriously the teaching of God's word because we don't take lightly the work of God and the faith of his people. So if you are here, you will be taught. We spend time teaching you God's word and we preach the unchanging truths of God and who God is. So if you come and ask us, like some do, you know, what is the strategic plan of your church? It is to preach faithfully the word of God. No, you must have a five-year, a 10-year, a 30-year. No, it is preaching the word of God. That is our strategy. We have nothing else. And if we fail on that, we fail our mandate of being a church of God. But as we do this, this will be hard. Because Paul, as he strengthens the believer, he doesn't use good words. He doesn't say that you'll be blessed you will increase, you'll be blessed when you leave, and when you come back, you'll be blessed in the country, you'll be blessed in the city. No. That the strengthening that will come, we come in things sometimes you don't like. Rebuke using God's word. That you'll be rebuked, you'll be challenged. And be careful, friends, in looking for preachers and teachers who are firm your beliefs system, the things that you believe, not the word of God. And you look for them, those who are firm. And they are plenty, they are everywhere. If you turn right, you'll find them. If you turn left, you'll find them. If you go straight, you'll find them. If you go back, Mushada, you'll find them there. They are everywhere. They are plenty, but be careful because the loudest of voices aren't always speaking the truth. So we'll re rebuke you. And sometimes people have left churches because they have been challenged in, with God's word. And they say that's a toxic church. You'll be corrected. The word there, correct, is, you know, means making straight, not being warped. But you'll be corrected. Making something straight. Training in righteousness, a word that you don't like. And here it means that, you know, you make a decision to live in a way that honors shows or demonstrate that you honor and you love God. In your family, in your marriage, that is righteousness that I want to honor and to please God. Not to please my spouse, not to please my children, not to please the church, but to honor God. That is true righteousness. So in that way, then we employ you as a believer to be aware of your sins 
and to desire the formation of Christ-likeness in your heart. I don't know why we don't like righteousness pursuing it. And many times we like dishonest gains. I don't know if when you are making your resolutions was to say that, God, I want to honor you and I want to live for you throughout the year. Unfortunately, Christians, we do not obey God's word. And when we make our resolutions or our desires and our plans, we set the worst possible goal towards unrighteousness. I will no longer be held back. Where God calls us to love our friends, to love our neighbors, you say, I don't want to be associated with toxic people. I want to be free. Sometimes we do that. So friends, brothers and sisters, if you obey the word of God that will be taught here, then you'll have life. If you obey man's word, then that one will lead you to death. So because of that, we won't preach for your love. We preach so that you may live or have life through the righteousness of Christ. And through that, you'll be strengthened. So do not run away when you hear hard teaching. If it's come from God, that's what God intends. As the psalmist say in Psalm 119, verse 28, he says, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word, that we be strengthened in the word of God, which will affirm and sometimes which will contradict our beliefs. So if you don't confront your righteousness in your real groups, in the church, in the gathering where you, in the, even where you minister, where you serve, then we lose our mandate. And God's word might hurt you. But God's word hurts even before healing you. It doesn't leave you there. It will hurt, but it will heal you. So I don't know how you approach God when God confronts you. I don't know if you see that God is weakening me or, strengthen, or strengthening my belief and my faith in him. Thirdly, we preach God's word to save sinners. Friends, we live in a world that people find pleasure in sin and evil. We live in a season, right now we are living in a season of godlessness. Human life is so cheap. A word that was not there some years back, femicide. Men killing people, killing women with their, with their bare hands. We have gone so low. People are finding Comfort in ignorance, joy in rebellion, beauty in wickedness. Our world is lost in sin. Paul tells Timothy, you need to preach nevertheless, in season and out of season. Preach so that sinners will come back to God. Whether men will listen or not, Timothy, it's your duty to preach the crucified Christ. Paul uses an interesting word down there, itching ears. That these people, these people are getting into a time where they have, you know, they have some itching ears. They want only to hear what they want. They turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And hear itching ears. You know that itching ears how sometimes it can be so sweet. You know, sometimes even the earbuds they don't do good work like the, like the rooster feather or the or like a match stick, you know, there's something that does. You can't even concentrate, you only concentrate on the itching. If someone is trying to talk to you at that moment, they're just itching. You want to be comforted in your itching. 
Paul is saying here, a time is coming when men will be led by curiosity and a desire and an appetite for variety. They need to be rescued so that they are not lost forever. So friends, we preach to save you who is lost in the world and to present you righteous before our Christ because Christ came for you. Actually, it's Paul who would mention before that in the book of Romans, chapter 10. Let me read it for you, these words that Paul writes there in chapter 10, the book of Romans. Paul says these words from verse 11. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We preach to save sinners. Those who have not come to a relationship with God. Those who need rescue, we preach to save them through God's word. And the blessings of God will be on a man or a woman or a church or a family that preaches good news. The Bible there says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. They will be dusty. They will be in pain. They might have muscle pull because of long distances. But if the desire is to preach the risen Christ, then they are beautiful. They are blessed. They need to be honored. And why are their feet beautiful? Because they have been sent. And why have they been sent? They've been sent to preach. To preach what? To preach so that people can hear. Why? So that sinners can believe in him. And then, after they believe, they can call on our risen Lord. And what about that? When they call, they be saved. And how will they, will they be saved? They will be richly blessed. God's blessings are on a church or a people who preach the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. We preach to save the sinners from hell. Be careful, friends. Be careful of peddlers that are around. Peddlers and imposters. Who are there as teachers? They were there during this time of writing this passage of scripture. They are there now. They are everywhere. They are part of your entertainment catalog. Every week you listen to them. I pray that your heart will be moved. And we pray that God is going to raise up Preachers who actually are going to preach the true word of God. These imposters, they serve salt to dusty people. They serve gravel to hungry souls. They preach comfort to those who are dead in their sin. Do turn away from them. They made up myths as truth. Friends, as long as you are here, we try our level best. Not to make pillows for you to sleep and wake up in hell. We want to wake you up so that one day when this life is over, you'll be presented before Christ without wrinkle, without blemish, holy and blameless because you receive the message of Christ. 
Finally, we go back to verse 1 of chapter 4, the one that I jumped. We preach because God's word is supremely precious. It is sovereign word. Paul writes there and says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Paul wrote this letter. You may need to remember that it was his last letter, actually. After that, he was executed by Emperor Nero. But when he was writing this, he knew that he doesn't have many days left. And this verse, I don't know what was going through Paul's mind at that moment, uh, but it was not an easy verse to crack and to try to bring the meaning. I was trying to ask my colleagues, what do you think this means? It is a hard one. But in a nutshell, he uses a legal term there. I charge you to preach the word. And this word is a legal term. It was used in the court of law. And so I think the image here is that Paul writing to his young pastor, to his young mentee, he's, it's like he's, he conditions his mind to see himself like in a courtroom. He says that in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. The word that, that charge can mean testify under oath that you have preached the good news of, God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the presence of God, the all-powerful, in the presence of Christ, the one who has saved, who has come to save humankind, and he will judge those who are living and those who are dead. I give you this charge. Preach. Friends, it is the wonder of Christ's precious and sovereign return that compels us to preach. We must remind you that Christ is going to come back. Yes, the song has been repeated for over 2,000 years. But one day he will return. And he will return because Christ is sovereign and precious. So Paul tells Timothy, preach. Don't be held guilty that you never preached about Christ, that he is the bread of life that nourishes, that he is the pearl of the great price, that he is the refreshing water, the cornerstone of his church. Preach, Timothy, preach about that. Preach that he is our everlasting high priest. Preach that he is the good shepherd. Preach that he is the devoted bridegroom to his church. Preach that he is the mighty lion of Judah. Preach that he is the perfect sacrificial lamb. Timothy, preach that he is the one who taught perfectly. Preach that he obeyed our God righteously. Timothy, preach that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophecy. Preach that he's the one who died on that cross violently and resurrected victoriously. Preach that he's the anchor of the soul of his people. Preach that he's the guarantor of every promise of God. Preach that he's the delight of every Christian, whether dead or alive. Preach that he's the one who perfectly satisfies. Preach that he's the one who rules the world perfectly. Timothy, preach Jesus that he is the last word of every subject because he is the fulfillment of all hope. Timothy, preach because this Lord is the creator of every atom and every galaxy that is known. 
Preach because he's the fountain of every truth and the refuge of every sinner. The one who guarantees every promise of God. Preach for no other reason. Preach this Christ. Preach about him. Christ because he's supremely, comprehensively, and eternally glorious. Preach, Tim. That's why we preach. For no other reason, we preach the risen Christ. And we will preach him until the day that we see him when he appears. And out of that, friends, then what is our mandate, brothers and sisters? This word that we be taught here. Let the word of God, or let the word of Christ, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That there is abundance when it dwells in your hearts richly. And so, brothers and sisters, we preach because God has spoken. We preach because God gives you strength in all seasons. We preach so that you who has not come to faith with him, you will be saved and rescued. We preach because he's sovereign, he's supreme, he's precious. There is no amount of words that can be able to define him. That's why we preach. May the Lord bless you. <laughs>